You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today we're going to talk about hip flexors. We have a lot of information to cover on hip flexors, and one of the things that one of the reasons I want to talk about hip flexors today, it was actually brought up because of a tool or a product that people are using called Monkey Feet. So I'm going to talk about Monkey Feet later in this episode, but let me talk about the hip flexors first, and then we'll get into my thoughts on some of these, these tools that are out there. All right, so first, the primary hip flexors that we're going to be discussing are going to be the psoas major, and the iliacus. Now, when there's a major, there's usually a minor, but it's not always the case. The human anatomy is very different with this. So sometimes there's not a psoas minor in a large segment of the population. So psoas major it is, and then the iliacus. Now, there are other hip flexors that exist as well, but those are your two primary ones. The other ones might include your rectus femoris, sartorius, TFL, and even your adductors can be hip flexors as well. So let's talk about first the psoas. The psoas is probably the primary hip flexor that you hear people talking about. And it's got its attachment on the anterior spine, which means the front of the spine. So if you've ever had somebody do a release, so a body worker, a physical therapist, a massage therapist, even do release on your hip flexors on your psoas, they go through your abdomen. They go into where your belly is and they move around and they will push down into the abdomen to release the muscle. And then the reason they do that is because it's on the anterior or on the front of the spine. So it's a hip flexor and it's proximal attachments, also known uh, in, in circles as the origin. So there's origin insertion, but I like to use proximal and distal attachment. So the proximal attachment is going to be the transverse processes of L1 through L5. So it's on the vertebrae, the transverse processes, the pieces that stick out to the side, transverse. Then there's the vertebral bodies, the actually bony unit, the middle of the spine, and that's T12 through L5. And then there are intervertebral discs, so it actually attaches to the disc in between the vertebral bodies. So it covers a lot of stuff, and there are all fascial attachments through that point. And then it crosses down through the abdomen, and it goes into uh, your distal attachment, aka your insertion at the lesser trochanter of the femur. And the lesser trochanter of the femur is medial. The lateral, the tr greater trochanter of the femur is on the outside, that bony notch on the outside of the hips, and it's large. And there's a lesser trochanter, much smaller, on the inside. So it's at the proximal medial portion of the femur. Now, the iliacus is a separate muscle and it is on the superior two-thirds of the iliac fossa. So the ilium are the two bones, the Mickey Mouse-shaped ear bones in the pelvis. And it's on the inside of those. So it's on the, the medial portion of that bone, not the lateral. It's not on the outside of that bone. And it's the top two-thirds or the superior two-thirds of that fossa, which is a kind of a divot, a dimple inside of that. 
and then the distal attachments, the lesser trochanter of the femur via the psoas major's tendon, which is why sometimes they are referred to as the iliopsoas, even though those two muscles are separate muscles, they have a common tendon, and that common tendon oftentimes leads people to put those two things together, those two muscles together as the iliopsoas. I don't often do that. Uh, I did it a lot when I was uh, earlier in my career, so sometimes it may slip, and I may still say that, but I generally like to separate those two muscles. Now let's talk about the joint actions that are gonna be involved in this. The joint action is, we're talking about hip flexors. These are hip flexors, they flex the hip, but they also do, both of these will do a little bit of lateral rotation. And they do that just based on line of pull of the muscle and where they insert onto the lesser trochanter of the femur. So they can do a little bit of lateral rotation or external rotation. Now the, the psoas, not the iliacus, but the psoas, has a direct attachment to the spine. So it can have a direct effect on the spine. And with that, it is also a spinal flexor. But there's something interesting about the psoas. It is sometimes referred to as the psoas paradox. And the psoas paradox says, well, yes, it is a spinal flexor, but as you go farther and farther into hip extension, you start to then go into spinal extension. And so then the paradox is that it can be a spinal flexor or a spinal extensor. And it doesn't concentrically extend the spine, but it extends the spine mechanically based on, on leverage. All right. Now, with that being said, I'm going to talk a little bit about some flexibility, but we're also going to talk about strengthening of your hip flexors. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Pump the brakes. I thought NASM only teaches that hip flexors are tight. That's all I've ever heard from NASM. Hip flexors are tight. So what are you talking about that we're going to do strengthening? All right. So we may spend more time discussing tight hip flexors than otherwise. But all exercises and interventions of tightness should be based off of assessments rather than off general likelihoods or off of conventions. So I tend to do hip flexor strengthening exercises with clients. Now, I don't do them the same way that I do with the same intensity or nearly the same weight as I would do hip extension exercises, but those activities, the activations of hip flexors are in there. And sometimes clients with hip flexors uh, that are tight can also be weak. So what do I do? Well, I have to have people foam roll their hip flexors, but not their psoas and not their iliacus because you cannot reach them with a foam roller. I have them stretch. Then I have them do the strengthening of the hip flexors. And then I have them do strengthening of the opposing muscles, the antagonist of the hip flexors. And then I may have them stretch those hip flexors again. So if they're short, tight, overactive, and weak based on assessment, then I foam roll, stretch, strengthen, primary muscle that we're working at, the hip flexors, strengthen the opposing muscles, the hip extensors, and then go back and stretch the hip flexors again after, after I've strengthened them. All right, let's look at the influence on stretching for performance because I had uh, a track coach ask me this at a workshop one time, and they said, I'm a track athlete, uh, athlete, I'm a track coach, and I have clients and athletes who have anterior pelvic tilts, they have tight hip flexors, and I don't know if I should be stretching these hip flexors, especially 
if they are in season, I don't want to alter anything with them. I don't want them to do stretches. And then once they do the stretches, then that decreases their ability to produce force. So found this, uh, Conrad at all 2021, the influence of stretching on hip flexor muscles and performance, a systematic review and meta-analysis. Remember meta-analysis is a, um, a pooling of randomized controlled trials and a systematic review may not necessarily be RCTs, but they are empirical evidence to help support whatever they're looking into. In this case, the influence of stretching on hip flexors. Here's what happened. They took this comparison of the effects on performance between three different stretching outcomes. So if you held your stretch for 30 to 90 seconds, if you held it for 120 seconds, and then if you held it, for 270 seconds to 480 seconds. That equates in minutes to probably far too long. So let's, with that being said, they did this isolated hip flexor stretching and up to 120 seconds, there was zero effect on the impact of the performance parameters for these athletes. So the strong hip flexor muscles can increase running speed. And this is based on a study done by Emma et al. in 2018 at the Medical Science Sports and Exercise Journal. So hip flexors, strong hip flexors are important to producing running speed. But altered mechanics can throw you off. So here's what they said. Again, this is going back to Conrad et al. 2021 the meta-analysis in the, it's the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health, quote, the hip flexor muscles are major contributors to lumbar spine stability. That's important to point out. So we need to have strong hip flexors. Back to the quote. Tight hip flexors can lead to pain in the lumbar spine and hence to impairment in performance. Moreover, sedentary behavior is a common problem and a major contributor to restricted hip, extensive, ex, hip extension flexibility. Stretching can be a tool to reduce muscle tightness and to overcome the aforementioned problems. All right, so with the body of evidence, we're gonna quote again, with the body of evidence that the hip flexors uh, are too tight, they likely have a negative effect on several performance parameters. End quote, and here's some of those performance parameters that were quoted in the research. The single leg balance, particularly the star excursion test with a lateral direction reach. Uh, they mentioned low back pain, trunk strength. So the tight hip flexors can inhibit trunk strength. It can negatively affect movement patterns and it can alter glute max and biceps femoris coactivation patterns. All right. So they think based on these things, Finding and stretching these muscles, having an acute response to minimize some of these things, to reintegrate movement patterns, and then have them run again. Zero, zero adverse outcomes for static stretching of the hip flexors prior to athletic performance, uh, unless you held it for more than two minutes. If you held it for more than two minutes, they did find that there might be, there is some mild but significant, um, clinically significant decrease in performance, but not if you held it for less than two minutes. I don't ever have people hold stretches for two minutes, especially prior to going into performance. So 
That should not be an issue. Well, we know flexibility then is probably important. We talk about the importance of flexibility in people in an anterior pelvic tilt, and that anterior pelvic tilt can cause people's spines to extend, the psoas paradox. So through that spinal extension, we are now looking at saying, all right, I know we should stretch, but what about strengthening? And I'm going to say that the strengthening is going to be important. One of the things that we look at is that think about the, the sliding filament theory and how if a muscle is too lengthened, it's in a weakened position based on cross bridges. But we also know that if a muscle is too short, then those cross bridges are also in a weakened position to produce force. And so that can be a challenge to strength. In fact, doing strength training exercises that stretch out a muscle eccentrically can actually help to lengthen said muscle. So we can do that. So what about strength? Findings suggest, this is a quote, findings suggest that subjects who perform straight leg raises up to 60 degrees mainly activate their psoas and the iliacus at a larger degree of hip flexion angles. Whereas the other muscles included in the analysis, the rectus femoris, sartorius, adductor longus, and the TFL do not contribute generally to increased flexion angles during a straight leg raise. I'm going to say this. My TFL would disagree with that assessment. <laughs> my, my TFL is the Hermione Granger of muscles. It always jumps in, wants to answer the questions, wants to participate, often too much to the chagrin of the other muscles surrounding. Uh, uh, if you want to see some of the hip flexor strengthening exercises that you might like, then you can go to my Instagram page that I posted today. So today is February 9th or 10th, uh, and I'll figure that out later, February 9th, 10th of 2022. Check out some of the hip flexor strengthening exercises that I have back-to-back -back on my IG at dr.rickrichie, R-I-C-H-E-Y for Richie, and you can check that out. Now, I used mini loops. So those mini loops are the small bands or the small loops, the, the elastic bands that you can be used. Now, there are other tools that are out there. You can use ankle weights, which are great. And then there's another tool out there in the world that I've been asked about so many times. Uh, some of uh, some people ask, can you do a does it really work episode on this particular thing? And some people are just reaching out to me and saying, hey, what are your, what's your assessment of this? So this is called the monkey feet. The monkey feet is a way that you can hook dumbbells up. You wear, put like a boot on and uh, you can add dumbbells to this boot and that way it's like you're grabbing a dumbbell and you can do with your feet and with your legs what you can do with your hands and with your arms. Now, here's the thing. I remember getting questions like this about TRX. I got questions like this about kettlebells, about every new tool that comes out. Um, when they start getting at least like a big PR push behind them. And my answer to these, all of these, is that they're tools. They're all tools. And, you know, some people 
only do exercises with kettlebells and only do exercises with TRX. And I, I guess that's fine if you're kind of turning exercise into a sport with one thing and you're like, that's my thing, then that's fine. It's not super well-rounded, but it's, it, it's a good means of exercise. And all of these tools, including the monkey feet, have legitimate applications. They're great tools. So for those of you, again, who don't know what it is, it's a dumbbell that attaches to a boot. It's kind of like ankle weights, but you can go heavier because you can clip dumbbells onto it. So what are my thoughts with those? Well, I think, first of all, it's an incredibly innovative tool. I think it's incredibly innovative, and it can be used for exercises similar to ankle weights. It can be loaded heavier, and you can use your creativity to work your muscles. And I love that. Be creative. And you can do this in so many different ways. And that's part of the fun. And we really need to start adding fun into the workouts if those are not added into the workouts. So can people use it to strengthen their hip flexors? Yes. Along with many, many other different tools. And again, the to, I, don't, I don't have the, the monkey feet tool at my gyms, but I have mini bands. And I have ankle weights. One of the things about mini bands, which is which is good and bad, which is why I like to use mini bands in some instances and weights in other instances, is that a band has a progressive resistance. So you'll see what I'm talking about. You go on to the IG and you see some of these exercises. Well, the farther I get up in hip flexion and the more that band stretches out, the more challenging it is. So it's progressive resistance because it gets harder through the range of motion. Well, that's good, except as we talked about earlier, through those deeper ranges of motion, it's more iliacus and not as much so as. And so the weaker range of motion where that band is not producing as much strength is probably more so as work. And if I'm using a band where it's less resistance during that lesser range of motion, then I'm not overloading that muscle as much as I'm overloading the iliacus. But if you switch it to a weight, so like an ankle weight or the monkey feet in this particular conversation, then that immediately loads it, keeps it isokinetic in the same weight, the same speed, the same range of motion, and it's worked through that range of motion so that those first several degrees, they said 60 degrees in this research paper, is, is it being worked as much as the rest of the range of motion? So uh, I, I think it's good to point out that there are options and opportunities to use different tools to work your body and to work your muscles in different ways, including your hip flexors. Now, I'll also be very clear that I don't go heavy with hip flexors and I'm not opposed to people going heavy. However, I do generally activation exercises. Some of them can be very challenging. But with that being said, if you have somebody with low back pain or low back discomfort, you need to be real careful about your choices here. And if they cannot stabilize their spine, if they cannot do certain spinal stabilization exercises like a quadruped, as they lift up one hand, they shift weight side to side. They cannot stabilize that. If the bird dog is challenging, if a side plank or a side bridge is challenging, if they go into a bridge position and they alternate their legs as they come up off the floor, 
and they do a lot of hip shifting, then their core may not be really that stable. And these are for people who have low back pain. And you can't just say, oh, you have low back pain, I can't train you. You just may, depending on degrees, but there's so many people that have low back pain in life in general. That means that we would not have any clients if we didn't work with people. So what do you do? You look at movement, you look at stability, you assess flexibility, you assess their strength, and you assess their movement. But we're not here to assess pain. The only pain assessment, if somebody says that hurts when I do this, we stop doing that. And with that said, then you can move on into, okay, well, I find that you have tightness in your hip flexors. But also, if you just put a little bit of pressure against a flexed hip and they can't maintain it, they have weakness in their hip flexors too. And so we need to address both the flexibility concerns and the stability concerns. And you can go light with your hip flexor exercises. And remember, hip flexors, the psoas in particular, is a spinal stabilizer. So you may need the recruitment of the psoas in order to help support and stabilize the spine. So what's the right answer? Do we stretch or strengthen? The answer is yeah. Yeah, you do, you do both. But when you apply those things, it may change. So flexibility may be initial priority for people with an anterior pelvic tilt. You may need to work primarily focused on the antagonist muscles. So an underactive phasic glute maximus muscle, glute medius muscles, and then start adding some isolated light exercises for the hip flexors and make sure those glutes are firing. And then let's get them all firing around the entire joint through its entire range of motion so that it creates stability in that joint. Hip flexors, iliacus, and psoas majors, primary point of the conversation today, and then also talking a little bit about some of the tools that are being used. Remember to check out that Instagram post that I put out today, and if you have questions about what's going on, you want to reach out to me, you can do so on Instagram at dr.rickrichie. Send me a message, or you can email me at rick.richie at nasm.org. Thanks for listening. Like, subscribe, share this with other fitness professionals, and we'll see you soon. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast.